Hello there, Team NXT, and thank you so much for once again tuning into the show. I am your host, CD, Danny Mac, the voice that is your choice for NXT discussion, the NXT OG, the man with a PhD in NXT, and you are listening to the longest-running, independently produced NXT podcast available. This is episode 121 of the Undisputed Future podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in to this particular edition of the show. I'm excited. I'm ready to talk Tag Team Classics and Fight Pits. Stacked episode of NXT television on January 20th, 2021. Lots of announcements coming through the course of this episode. I will be discussing tonight, to be perfectly candid with everybody, it's Saturday evening. It's Saturday, January 23rd, and I'm recording this episode now. Why? Because the aforementioned Tag Team Classics matches were featured on 205 Live. 205 Live taking place after SmackDown. Now, with that announcement came a decision and a fork in the road for me, Team NXT. It was, do I record and cover the Friday night matches later on an episode to be recorded at earliest Wednesday evening at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, or do I delay the most recent episode by just a few hours, really push you guys to tune in and check this one out, and then we get to this to the discussion between, well, a unique pairing of teams in the men's division and the representatives of the way in the women's division, as well as two new signees to the NXT Women's Division. Yes, new signees to the NXT Women's Division, as if they needed any help. And it's not just like they signed nobody here, folks. We have the formerly known Priscilla Kelly, now known as Gigi Dolan, kind of sounding like her paramour's name in Darby Allen. And I know the Gigi Allen uh, reference is a uh, is out there and kind of apparent in everybody's uh, in everybody's character there when it splits those two. But I like the parallels in their titles. Elena Black, now known as Cora Jade, which based on the appearances so far, she stood out to me more, even with Kelly's, well, even with Dolan's new fluorescent olden days Becky Lynch fluorescent orange colored Hair, as well as the yet-to-be-seen Lacey Ryan, now known as Zoe Stark, and will be Marina Shafir's tag team partner in the women's side of the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic, a move I did not understand. Why wouldn't Jessamyn Duke and Marina Shafir be tag team par- tag teams in the first-ever women's tag team classic? Well, a lot of thoughts came to my head, and the most logical explanation I've come across is Jasmine is making pretty good money doing streaming and YouTube and her own thing. And we know how that sort of independence financially is looked down upon by our friends in the WWE organization. So I don't know if that could have one thing to do with it or the other, or if time is subtracted away from the ring, or it could it could just be straight up injury related and everybody's overthinking everything, which believe it or not, wrestling fans could be prone to do. Moving forward towards NXT television, like I previously though, 205 Live, great debut for Cora Jade and Gigi Dolan. I will discuss these matches towards the end. 
because that men's pairing, I gotta go through NXT January 20th first, folks. Otherwise, the tag team pairing does not make any sense what we saw on 205 Live. Granted, one of those gentlemen was over the weight limit of such, so it probably shouldn't have taken parts in the first place, and Arya Davari did have a solid tweet argument uh, earlier this evening. Where was I going with this? Let's just, let's not go anywhere with that anymore. Let's jump right into the celebration and the streamers popping on January 20th for the return in person of Beth Phoenix. The Glamazon returning to live commentary, joining her colleagues Vic Joseph and Wade Barrett. And what better way and what better time and what more appropriate time than to bring back Beth Phoenix than at the start of the first ever women's Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. Phoenix would play a key role into introducing the tournament, which I will discuss in a matter of minutes. We need to discuss where where uh, where we're going with with a certain team here, Team NXT, and that team is the way. The way things are going for Johnny Gargano and Austin Theory in this tournament, we're not well. It was the way I expected it to go. I did not expect Gargano and Theory to be heavy favorites in here with Gargano holding the North American Championship. The North American Championship needs its spotlight. It can't be too crowded in the tag team tournament. Now, Johnny Gargano is the furthest thing from tampering or gumming up the works of a tag team tournament like discussed and like referenced by Beth Phoenix during this matchup in the UFP shows episode 120 with the Statman Peyton Westner heavily discussed was DIY Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano debuting during this very prestigious tournament in NXT history. But Johnny Gargano's place as he sits as a character right now, it's just not fit for the tag team division. Would it be cool and provide a lot of bragging rights to the Gargano family if Johnny was walking around with a trophy from the Dusty Cup? a trophy customized from Italy, and the North American Championship? Of course it would. That's a lot of bling. But the championship needs its own takeover match, and that's what I believe the ending of this matchup would set up. Johnny Gargano and Austin Theory representing the way, taking on North American Champion Johnny... Not taking on North American Champion Johnny Gargano. Taking on Kushida and Leon Ruff, the former North American champion. That's where the reading went wrong, folks. I'm not editing this. We're all going to have our flubs. It's okay. I'm a solo podcast. I don't have anybody to sit here and correct me. This week, I'm relying on my own. I'm fueling on adrenaline. I got Mountain Dew Major Melon sitting next to me, so the caffeine kick is going to be strong this episode. Some words might be all over the place, but the, but the discussion will stay on track as often as I as I can, as long as I'm not interrupted by any furry friends. Dogs going in the other room. Anyway, where are we at? Tag team action. Former and current contenders and champions for the North American Championship in this matchup. Austin Theory, somebody who you could see fitting in this title scene if it wasn't for him being involved heavily with the North American Champion at this time. Leon Ruff, a former champion, whether you like how it's shaped together or not, folks, he has the in-ring credentials and the talent to have defended that championship as well. And most likely, the gentleman who will be the current and moving forward contender for the North American title, 
Kushida. Kushida's hot tag during this matchup, folks. The high point in the offense for me. That tornado DDT on the outside. Absolutely brilliant stuff. Kushida has just been a freight train of unique offense since coming back on NXT. Coming back meaning post that Walter match and the injury sustained to his arm, elbow, wrist area. Not exactly 100% sure. I'm going to say elbow just based on how I remember him landing and how the hoverboard lock is perceived as a move and just where I could see that landing have gone wrong. Great match. That's the one. Outside of seeing him in person at Madison Square Garden on 205 Live, that's the match that really put Kushida on the map for me. That's the one that made me go, this could be the guy, and I hate to just throw Japanese imports in the male divisions on NXT, but if we've seen any pattern and how these things go, we've tried to see equal success at the same time of Shinsuke Nakamura and Hideo Itami, now known and forever known as Kenta. And that did not work out due to unfortunate injury timing. Shinsuke Nakamura having a fair amount of success on SmackDown right now. I'd like to see Kushida get that style push in NXT. String a couple wins together and prove himself to be in title contention. And the North American Championship needs interesting contenders. And it needs contenders of the same frame right now. Yes, this could very well be on paper one that also looks like a match in the cruiserweight division as well. Kushida versus Johnny Gargano for a championship. Whatever title you want to put on the line, it's two guys with enough in-ring acumen and know how to tell a story in the ring that it's going to be entertaining. Just slap whatever piece of gold you want it to be for up on the banner and the marquee, well, marquee or lack thereof because of what kind of time we're in, but I'm going to digress from that point. Folks, the tag team excellence that Johnny Gargano had in this matchup is something worth noting. The fact that he's able to transition from partner to partner and Austin Theory and Tommaso Ciampa, similar build, yes, they're both jacked out of their face, but the age and experience and how Johnny Gargano perceives his role in the team was way more 50-50 in DIY. This time, he's the master to the Padawan, yes, how many Star Wars, Mandalorian, General Lucasfilm Universe references do we want to pile on a Johnny Gargano discussion? I'm going to rattle them off as they come to me, just much like any other thoughts coming through on this show. The tandem offense with Austin Theory is where I was going with this, this entire rant. The DIY style and setups were there, but... Theory would able to finish it off with something completely off the mark, or Johnny Gargano would hit a signature super kick with just enough believability for that near fall. That's the kind of consistency you love to see in, an, in a performer, in a professional wrestler. Johnny Gargano is nothing but consistent. I could say whatever I want about how the heel Gargano persona has clicked with me or lack thereof more accurately, but watching him in between those four posts will never grow boring in my eyes. When you've seen Andrade versus Johnny Gargano in person, you could put aside any wrongdoing outside of a, outside of his character work. You know you're getting that quality matchup out of Johnny wrestling. We did not get the W for the way 
believe it or not, as fitting as that might have been. And no, it was not because of Dexter Loomis. Heavily discussed in episode 21 was how we were not going to discuss the booking of Dexter Loomis because of how disappointing it was last week. And yet no appearance made, granted, the smartest character maybe lurking in the shadows. Maybe this could be part of the big builder picture and there's some revenge coming Gargano's way later on. I did not expect the way to move on as I kicked off this segment of the show with. I thought Loomis would be the X Factor here. Instead, you get the offensive brilliance that I also covered with Kushida. The hoverboard lock with a hooked Northern Lights suplex. Brilliant maneuver. I am a Northern Lights suplex mark. It's my favorite. There's something beautiful about that bridge. It's where I'll give the most credit to Alicia Fox. It's one moment in a Young Bucks match where I can set aside the flippy stuff and just appreciate it, even if it's going down a mile of a football field, but I'm going to stay away from that conversation. Big fan of the Northern Lights suplex. Big fan of the execution here. Big fan of this finish. Kushida pins the North American champion. Ends. Kushida and Ruff are moving on in the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. Predictably, from here, the prediction is coming that Johnny Gargano will cost the former North American champion, Leon Ruff, and the perceived-to-be contender for the North American Championship, Kushida, in that next round matchup for the Dusty Cup, which, if I could buy myself some time and scroll through the notes... We are going to see those two gentlemen take on the grizzled young veterans in Zach Gibson and James Drake. Now, do the grizzled young veterans need anyone's help to lock up success in the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic? No, the numbers speak for themselves. Go back to the numbers from last week. But Johnny Gargano, snake in the grass, heel Johnny Gargano, or big muscle-headed moron Austin Theory, something's going to take place. Kushida is going to end up getting pinned next week, or Leon Ruff is going to end up getting pinned just as part of a chain reaction of it all, and there's going to be some outside X factor. We don't know the way it's going to happen, but Gargano or Theory will be involved in that decision in the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic in round two. Let's move on to... Uh, let's move on to Pete Dunne. Pete Dunne looks to build a legacy on Finn Balor's name. Pete Dunne, not the most accomplished promo in my eyes, not the most exciting man on the mic. That involvement with Pat McAfee did the best possible job of covering that one shortfall in Pete Dunne's game. And that's the heel action. The actions speak louder than words with Pete Dunne. That's really where where my summary of him as a heel comes in. The pushing people in the face and the getting in their face early in that that inaugural United Kingdom tournament where he was just jump out, you hate his guts from the word go. That's the Pete Dunne that spoke through his actions. And in the ring, stomping on the fingers and taking away the appendages, all that being part of his game, that's where I see the strongest heel performance in Pete Dunne. Not my favorite on the promo side of things, but the message is loud and clear. 
as he wants to move forward and be that contender for the NXT Championship. I have a slight problem with Peter being the NXT Championship contender at this time, and it has nothing to do with match quality, but I'll touch on that once we hear from our NXT champion. Gonna browse through a couple other things. Tyler Rust, we will see and discuss later on. He wants to go straight to the top with Malcolm Bivens. Malcolm Bivens still owes the NXT Universe a streaming watch-along of Scooby-Doo WrestleMania. Let's uh, let's jump into the former NXT champion, Karrion Cross, and the star of the show, Scarlet the Harlot, the twisted headgear, the crown of thorns looking mic cover for Scarlet. I love it. It was Medusa-esque. It matches the aesthetic. It just keeps on adding to the pageantry of this entrance. It's hypnotic. It's entrancing but you're watching Scarlet the entire time. That's not a matter of really... That's It's not a bad thing. You want a manager that's going to that's gonna draw up the act that she's representing. But it's, carry, it's carrying cross heavily tattooed bald guy in NXT, which as a brand has a lot of very heavily accomplished jacked bald guy performers, and they got badass beards behind them, or they're English veterans, or there's already some other standout feature besides apocalyptic figure, and they were all here first. So I feel, granted, Kill Across and all of the Impact stuff I am missing from my resume and my knowledge of this man as a professional wrestler. Call me out on that. Please provide me with some links of why I should be invested in this former NXT champion. And this should not be something I have to ask. But I'm asking because of the title reign not going to its full potential the first time around. Why we're in this grateful position that Finn Balor is the champion. My investment for carrying cross is not there. And not having that past knowledge is a big factor behind it. I feel it, and I already know the tweets at podcast underscore UF coming in. Another squash match against Ashante Adonis is not what I need out of a former NXT champion to get me invested. I need a rivalry outside of the title scene against a credible contender. Why aren't we revisiting the Tommaso Ciampa situation yet? Why not allow Cross to be that demon that does not stop haunting Tommaso Ciampa? Post the most recent rivalry that Ciampa is involved in, and it can't go this way because of some aftermath of that fight pit match. Trying a new contender for carrying Cross. It's hard to think of people in NXT that could kind of afford to lose right now and still hold on to their momentum if there was any shot in hell that vd could be received as a baby face maybe you throw him in there for the star power but that guy's a freaking creep and nobody's gonna root for him i don't know where you find a serious contender to give carrying cross an interesting rivalry outside of the title scene except maybe singling out one of the Undisputed Era. 
but the undisputed era has a lot of let's call it let's call it Facebook relationship. It's complicated with our NXT champion Finn Balor at the moment. There's sort of on and off, hot and cold feelings there. There's a missing puzzle piece in the carrying cross story right now, and it's it's first shaped by that shoulder injury. He's had a successful return. Yes, it has been a classic rebuild of a monster character. Okay, but this is stuff that long-term viewers of NXT are already familiar with. If we're trying to hook new viewers on why he should be perceived as a threat, the squash matches fit. But looking at it on paper for the regular NXT fans, the carrying cross squash matches just aren't doing it for me anymore. It's not. I don't, and it sucks, and it's bothering me more that I can't think of what else they should do instead. Because that's how an argument should come to the table as a fan. If they're not, if they shouldn't do this, what should they do instead? They should not keep giving carrying cross squash matches, but I can't find anything interesting outside of the title scene for him to do and that's a problem with a monster heel that can be that can be perceived as a monster threat to the championship but something interesting needs to happen before that tarot card for Finn Balor was drawn based on the title scene and my mention of Peter Dunn the title scene looks too crowded for it to be a St. Valentine's Massacre win for Carrying Cross, and boy, would that have been cool. You surround and you make the takeover massacre-themed and you give the title to the apocalyptic figure on that event? That fits. That thematically fits, and that involves me getting my heart broken by watching Finn Balor lose the championship, and I think that's what should happen. Squash matches against Ashanti Adonis and choking out Denzel Dejournet. I forget his current name. I apologize to the performer personally. And I'll look that up and I'll mend things over when I go into when they were uh, when they were placed in the tournament. When I go back when when that future conversation comes up about who they were replaced by, I should say. It's suplex, it's Saito suplex city for Karrion Cross, dropping Ashanti Adonis on his neck. The threat is there. The newest threat to the offense in Karrion Cross. Oh no, it's a big elbow strike to the back of the head. I hope some long-term NXT fans see what I did there, referencing a hero of an in-ring veteran in that one. Choking out the performer... Choking out his tag team partner, knocking out, knocking out his opponent, choking out his tag team partner. Cross looks strong at the end of the segment. It's another squash. I'm going to finish complaining about that. I'm going to jump into a segment that really made me laugh. And it's the boys in MSK with the very nice Borat impressions. Not, well, the sequel did kind of, uh, kind of come out recently. If you haven't checked that out on Amazon Prime. Highly recommended. So not as dated of a reference as some other WWE pop culture 9, 10, 11, 12, 15, 20 years too late comes to mind. But it's a tag team with personality. It's a tag team 
with a cruiserweight and unique in-ring style. And they're 420 friendly, so they relate to me. And I'm sure a lot of you listening to this pod right now. The biggest compliment you can give me is I'm going to have a smoke sesh, I'm going to throw on some UFP show, and I'm going to pick apart what Dan has to say about the product. That's awesome. And I hope somebody out there is doing such a thing. Maybe even MSK themselves are doing such a thing right now. Heavy favorites to be a big deal in this NXT tag team division. And we need it to start in NXT because WWE's tag team division needs that rebuild. Luckily, and I've discussed and counted my blessings many times that I'm not a main roster podcast. I don't need to sit here and pick apart the problems with WWE's uh, tag team division. I could just move on to what's right in the NXT women's division and their tag team division. Now, something I am happy to have been proved wrong on. I thought this entire week leading up to this episode, and I expressed a very strict view on this subject last episode, Tony Storm and Mercedes Martinez not going to be able to get along because of their high-ranking contendership status to take on Io Shirai right now. They're big names as possible contenders to take on Io Shirai. There's no way they're going to be able to put that distraction of the championship aside and work together as a team. But this promo, I thought Team Ninja was really in danger. I really, really thought the tag team unity on this was great. I could see them moving forward as a team together. That's how much I thoroughly enjoyed this. I thought Casey and Caden were in some serious, serious trouble once I uh, once I heard the end of this one. I'll discuss the Women's Dusty Cup shortly. First, we got to treat the mat with some honor to show how it's sacred. And we got to discuss Imperium taking on the Lucha House Party in the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic Cup Round 1. The bright colors versus the black tights. The clash of characters as much as in-ring style in this matchup. Very simple story. A great story. One that always plays out. It's the guys who want to ground you and attack you head-on versus the luchadors flying around the ring. It's something I've been a fan of since I'm a kid. It makes for a quality story. It's simple storytelling. And it did not go the way I expected it to which even adds the exciting more element to this discussion. Now, when I say a clash of in-ring styles, that is not to say that Fabian Eichner cannot fly around. Fabian Eichner is a 205 Live OG, a former competitor to the first ever Cruiserweight Classic, which, if you're looking for some network content, Coda. Ibushi, yes, that Kota Ibushi is featured on the tournament in some great matches in a game-changing, career-changing for Cedric Alexander match, and Mauro Ranallo and Daniel Bryan on commentary. We need another Cruiserweight Classic to really kick off 205 Live again, and that's what I think should have happened with a recent class of uh, performance centers 
trainees moving in from Evolve Wrestling, especially with the way the Cruiserweight title contendership is shaping up, and I'll definitely discuss that in, in a matter of minutes, because we have a Cruiserweight title match next week. Grand Metalik has just kept on impressing. Metalik has been crazy good for the past few weeks, whether it's NXT competing for the Cruiserweight Championship or in a tag team match with Lince Dorado here or on Monday nights. Grand Metalik, keep your eyes on him. Don't overlook. The Lucha House Party, yeah, it's over the top. It's silly. It's made to appeal to kids. It's a necessary, colorful character in pro wrestling. But the guys who are executing it can absolutely go, and Grand Metalik is not the king of the ropes for no reason. Back to the simplicity and brilliance of the storytelling. One team flies, the other team was trying to avoid it when possible, but the flying style would pay off heavily for Lince Dorado. The Golden Lynx would land the shooting star press for the W. Grand Metalik maintaining control on the outside. A pinfall victory over former NXT Tag Team Champions to move on in the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic Cup. What an exciting win for Lucha House Party. Lucha House Party wins and will take on Legado del Fantasma. Now that is another simple story right then and there. It's what Santos Escobar, our Cruiserweight Champion, perceives as pride and his perspective of lucha tradition versus the masks and the colorful characters and the over-the-top and the noisemakers and the pinatas and stereotypical stuff, I guess, for lack of a better term. I'm trying to see how, how the character Santos Escobar would address this team directly. Uh, got a little bit of that from the from the later promo, but sidetracked with, with work later on in the show. It did happen, but the importance, and uh, I know where the discussion needs to be heavy. Don't worry, I'm still going to give you your time's worth. Moving on from the Luchadors. Imperium. Walter, our NXT UK champion, seems to have sent over the Hatchet Man, the Axe Man of the group. I forget which sharp object weaponry that Alexander Wolf is named after. But this twisted German was sent over, obviously by the Ring General, to scope out what the heck is going on with Eichner and Martell lately? Do they need the same sort of militaristic training from Walter that Zaylee had been getting? Do we need the European version of the exact suffering that Zaylee and Boa went through? Are we getting that perspective back? How is Imperium going to get back on track? Alexander Wolf's appearance and stare, and something as simple as that has raised up some questions. It's not like he came out there smiling, Team NXT. None too happy with our friends in Imperium. Now, is that going to shape open? Is that going to kick open a door for Walter to chop back into NXT? I don't think so. I don't think he should move. I think the champion 
representing that brand needs to be consistently on that brand. I think the question of who is finally going to defeat Walter needs to be a constant looming question in NXT UK. And his appearance needs to be guaranteed anytime at any place. Now, with that being said, two weeks later from now, he's going to show up on NXT and all of this talk will be irrelevant because that's just kind of how some of these discussions lay out. But my thought is no. I think that the troops in NXT US need to be maintained by a competitor on NXT UK with the caliber of Alexander Wolfe and the in-ring experience and somebody who the ring general can send as a ring lieutenant, ring colonel, ring brigadier. Ooh, ring brigadier. Ring brigadier sounds really badass. I hope they carry that. You can have that one. Have that one and use it. That's a great name for Alexander Wolf. The Sharp Objects man name works too, especially blending with the way his in-ring style delivers, but the Ring Brigadier to the Ring General, there's something there, folks. I like that. Moving on, we can talk about the weigh-in at the fight pit. Long story short, they got in each other's face. Champa weighed in at 201 and Timothy Thatcher at 225. There it is. There's the back reference to Arya Davari's tweet. Timothy Thatcher competing on 205 Live at 225. Not great. The Women's Dusty Classic kicking off. Regal handing things off so graciously our general manager is. What a stand-up guy. Handing things off to the accomplished Hall of Famer Beth Phoenix. NXT at the forefront of women's evolution. No arguments. None, no debates. Sasha Banks and Bayley, NXT TakeOver 2015. One of the high points of the women's evolution. It had been shaping up for a while since then, folks. Where do I think the women's evolution started? Where does this white, hetero, cis man think the women's evolution started? Thank you so much for asking a question. Um, it started way the hell back with Paige versus Emma for the NXT Women's Championship. That's the match. That's the match. That's where you look at two women on WWE television. Holy snap, this thing delivered. That's where it started in WWE. Do I have time to get technical and say, no, it probably really started in Japan with stardom and all these other successful women's organizations? Yes, that's probably the real answer. Check out Church of Joshi on Twitch. But... I'm not going to go there right now. I'm going to jump into the brilliance that the ceremony was. The mentioning of the greats of NXT's past and main roster present. Becky Lynch, Bailey, Sasha Banks, Charlotte Flair, Natalia, on and on. Former NXT Women's Champions, Asuka, Shayna Baszler. There were even names that they forgot up there. There's so much talent in the women's roster right now. Point being, those are the women that paved the way, but this current batch of talent is the reason why a tag team tournament was necessary. The talents coming through 
and up the independent wrestling scene, eventually ending up in the WWE Performance Center and in, con- and in connection, the Capital Wrestling Center. There's promising talents growing all the time. There's talents we've seen around on AEW, on the independent circuit. Big shout out to a former person on NXT television in Shaza McKenzie. Hopefully Australia can exit lockdown and she can compete in the U.S. again. The growth of women's wrestling to the point where we got this Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic is special. And starting things off with a real team like Team Ninja and Casey Catanzaro and Caden Carter taking on Mercedes Martinez and Tony Storm, two incredibly credible women's championship competitors. Great stuff. Love the pre-match confrontation. A lot of of real combat sport vibe on tonight's NXT. Between the fight pit, the weigh-ins, the pre-tournament ritual. Great stuff. The match itself. Mercedes Martinez. Freakishly strong. Casey Catanzaro. The biggest little one in the tournament. I'm trying to draw the biggest little man comparison from Rey Mysterio to Casey in the grand scheme of this tournament. Because she's going to rely on the chopping down. Everything she does is going to be David versus Goliath. And she's a believable enough babyface if you don't count that slight heel maneuver of gathering during COVID, which she had no idea about, which I question not just the fedora on his head, but the planning of a party in the middle of a pandemic by Ricochet. I'm moving on from that. Casey, in between the ropes, I have no issue with. Big deal. Great athlete. One of the ones to watch in the women's division right now. The selling point was Casey, well, being the selling point, taking a beating from Mercedes Martinez, what felt like the entirety of this matchup, selling for Tony Storm to kick things off. A lot of nice back-and-forth competition, but a lot of it was Casey crawling and struggling and being that underdog, and that's exactly what you want to see out of a competitor with her talent. Caden Carter's hot tag, I loved it. Love her look, the Mortal Kombat vibes. She's got a unique enough character appearance, ends in-ring style, where you can believe there's something that really stands out about her. I liked it. Blending very well as a team, the longest-running team in this tournament. Got to give them an edge. They're looking to win the whole damn thing. And... They were off to a great start here. Not the way you really expected them to get here. Tony Storm would lock in a crab. Single like Boston crab. I don't believe she's a product of the Lance Storm uh, wrestling promotion like Oni Lorkins and the Peyton Royces of the world who execute that move. But Tony Storm locking in quite the deep half crab. And the referee's distracted. Referee's got his eyes on the submission. This is taking on form. Not in the heels corner, Storm and Martinez, but Casey making that crawl towards her tag team partner in the babyface corner. Casey, before making this successful tag, 
the sequence would be interrupted by our NXT Women's Champion, Io Shirai, Mercedes Martinez, not the legal woman, not doing anything illegal in this matchup, but did do something a little bit vengeful, a little bit spiteful, a little bit dangerous, a little bit woman handling by Mercedes on Io Shirai, slamming her into steel structures in the arena. So yeah, payback was called for, but did it happen at the most appropriate time? I want to discuss the finish, and then I want to discuss the lack of a better word, I'm going to call these implications of the finish, or consequences of the finish of how I perceived it. The lock is on. Referee's got his eyes on Casey in the submission. Io Shirai knocks off Mercedes Martinez, takes her, neutralizes her for the rest of the matchup. Casey, all heart, counters the move, gets out of it. Tony's Tony's a cow on ice. Tony's slipping. Tony's face first into turnbuckles. Tags back and tags back in back and forth. These things are happening. The action is hot. The action is heavy. It's going all over. That's what she said. I'm gonna let that one sit for a little while. Tony Storm knocked out. Prone position turnbuckle. Perfect. Four, a shooting star press, a moonsault, a phoenix splash even. Not not entirely out of the possibilities. A 450? Yeah, definitely. What Casey pulled off. My notes say, and I'm going to go back and revise this, but this is exactly what I thought... This is me sitting in front of my television watching NXT on January 20th. The jumping, flying, spinning, WTF, Phoenix Splash, back senton. The leaps, the twists, the turns, the back senton, landing. Whatever was executed was a thing of beauty and brilliance by Casey Catanzaro and a maneuver that would seal the round one and first matchup victory for Team Ninja. Admittedly worried about this outcome, seeing Tony Storm and Mercedes Martinez on the same page. My first thought was a little bit of, was a little bit of dread. Oh no. Are these two going to make it to like the semifinals or the finals even? And then have that split and then have tension and dissension between Tony Storm and Mercedes Martinez. And then they start their quest for the women's championship from that. Now, it did not play out that way. Team Ninja's moving on, thankfully so. Peyton, I know you're listening, my friend. Your pick for this whole dang tournament still in play. Now we have Shirai gets payback on Mercedes Martinez. Awesome. Love the idea of setting up that feud. If it's just another victory for Io Shirai to 
continue her reign as NXT Women's Champion. I could see it because Mercedes Martinez, just as perspective perspective of a fan of what I think the perspective of a veteran is, talk about ignorance, I guess, but speaking on it anyway. I think Mercedes Martinez is an experienced enough talent where she can be another win in Io Shirai's title reign. And it can still keep her serious as a competitor. Or we get a reset and we get another monster reign in the form of a Shayna Baszler or an Asuka with Mercedes Martinez at the head of the women's division. So that's where I think that rivalry is going. How it was continued in this matchup, I understand. Because by hook or by crook, you wanted Casey and Caden to win. I know a lot of us out there do. But did it have to be that way for the very first matchup in the Women's Dusty Cup? Did the first match to kick off the tournament have to end with a dirty finish? I don't think so. I think the first match in such a historic event, you end that clean. It ends with a victory purely by talent and great storytelling. I don't think any sort of dusty or dirty or swervy or not to be confused with Isaiah Scott, any wacky sort of finish should have fit in the first round of the tournament. I think it could have waited. I think, and it's and it's tricky because I could not think of a better team to start this thing off with a win than Casey and Caden. And I just mentioned the problem before. Don't complain unless you got something, unless you got a separate idea. I just think this either could have gone a different way. It could have waited till next week. I think the timeline of the tournament also makes that tricky because I'm making the assumption here they want to have some sort of finals or semifinals by the time TakeOver Valentine's Day rolls around, which is why I'm perceiving they had matches on 205 Live to move this thing along. Uh, Yeah, did not think the first match of the tournament needed the interference finish. Just a thesis statement of that last little rant. Follow me at podcast underscore UF. Tweet at me your alternatives to this whole thing. And uh, I'll be sure to get to those. Before I get to your questions and everything else, folks, because I did not forget, got some really good ones on Twitter this week. Um, need to discuss this promo by our champion, interference by Pete Dunn and the boys. We got Tyler Rust and Bronson Reed to talk about, and we still got the fight pit. And we're going on almost an hour. So if you're really loving what I do, feel free to uh, chip in and buy me a cup of coffee. Go to ko-fi backslash undisputed future podcast. You can find the link on my Twitter page and just a couple bucks. I was going to set it up as NX3, but right now the donation, and I'm really hoping you guys can customize this, but uh, right now the donation is set at $4 because after PayPal and... uh, what is it, Stripe fees, I'm feeling like I might be walking away with NX $3. So if you guys can generate your time and your money on that, 
feel free. Thank you so much. I appreciate, of course, any monetary support. This is my first time in over 120 episodes. I'm asking for such a thing. Never a handout. With these monetary goals are going to come new ideas for content and new releases. The first to 50 is going to be uh, is going to be a watch along. And once I reach that 50, it's going to launch a Twitter poll. I'm going to make that Twitter poll last from one NXT recording to the next. And then uh, from week to week, NXT TV. I'll have you guys be voting on four different takeovers, ones that I've been to personally. So I can give the perspective of the crowd that certain evening, what I personally felt, as well as what we're watching on screen and the match moving forward. So it's going to be four takeover events that I've been to to choose from, and that'll be upon reaching the first $50 on uh, on coffee.com. So thank you for that little bit of beggar and uh, handler sort of rant. Uh, Finn Balor wants Pete Dunne. Can start with the tag team champions first. He wants to cut off the arms and then cut off the head. William Regal not exactly playing into this. Uh, so he's got to find a partner. He's not letting if He's not letting the NXT champion fight these uh, fight these dangerous individuals by them by himself. Team Ninja would interrupt the injury report on Ashanti the Adonis, uh, Adonis and Denzel Desjardins not competing in the Dusty Classic. It'll all make sense by the end of this episode. Uh, Team Ninja would interrupt saying they're going to win the whole damn thing, and that's the exact same thing that we went in on episode one twenty. Favorites in the tournament, Team Ninja making that known to the rest of NXT Universe as well. Let's talk about some singles action shifting away from tag team competition just for a few moments. And, well, not the rest of this episode, but at least the rest of this episode discussing the January 20th edition of NXT TV. Singles collision with the colossal Bronson Reed taking on somebody who looks more like more like he could be a diamond in the rough than Rusty, Tyler Rust. That name does nothing for anybody. I don't, I really hope this kid didn't pick it himself, and I really hope there's a chance to change it, but it sounds tough, but at the same time, it sounds cartoony. It's like when I'm going to give a NFL example. I heard the name, uh, and granted, I don't need any pity on this, but I'm a New York Giants fan. So Colt McCoy, I can I hear that name. I think Red Dead Redemption. Tyler Rust, I think something along those cowboy lines or complete shift of gear, but still in the same Rockstar Games universe. I could hear that and even see that being a crime syndicate member of uh, some back alley gang in like a Grand Theft Auto. Rust, you know, something something along those lines. Now, the name does not take away from the talent. I've discussed this before. I've said this about the Viking Raiders and the experience and the Andrade losing names and no more Cien and Cien Almas and no more Almas in Cien Almas. Yeah, the point is, the name does not take away from the talent. These two will be prime competitors on this brand. Bronson Reed 
is going to win the North American Championship in 2021. That's my bold prediction. It's in my notes. You can time it. 52 and a half minutes on episode 121. I predict Bronson Reed will be North American Champion in NXT in 2021. Reed already had a great 2020. So there's not much else that needs to be added to this argument than his past resume. It does speak for itself. Tiger Rust also able to prove himself as a star on this brand because he's looked pretty damn good each and every time he stepped out. He has a brilliant mouthpiece in Malcolm Bivens on his, you know, watching his back and supporting him on the mic. And he's had a great showing against former NXT champion Tommaso Ciampa in a match that I first discussed and I thought it went too long. But it's really to showcase what this kid can do. He looked really, really damn good, able to outsmart and even land some really big drops against the Auszilla. Landing some drops against a, against an opponent the size of Bronson Reed? Credit where it's due to Tyler Rust. Great, great match here on January 20th. However, the hopes of a victory would be washed away by a massive tsunami splash from the top rope by Bronson Reed. One, two, three, solid W for Bronson Reed. The colossal one adding another W to his belt on that massive waistline. Something I really liked about this post-match. Something I really, really enjoy about Malcolm Bivens' managerial style in general. He's very encouraging. He's very, very encouraged by that showing and motivating his client. Malcolm Bivens is the kind of manager that you are actively seeing getting his boys active opportunities. I say boys because he was managing Indu Sure at one point. We don't know what happened to those gentlemen. I'm assuming COVID or, you know, uh, emigrating traveling issues. Or again, could be injury related. Not the first time we've seen a powerhouse tag team on NXT have to deal with injuries. Authors of Pain back in the day. Shout out to those guys. I wonder where Akam and Rizar are going to show up next. We need that we need that monster tag team presence in NXT, by the way. We don't have that in the Dusty Classic this year. In like the first time in recent memory. Definitely in recent tournaments. Not many pieces missing in this tag team division as it sits right now, other than the time and the investment and the character work and a monster tag team. You know, the basics. Team built on basics. That's not what Killian Dane and Drake Maverick are. They're built on uh, a unique now friendship. We can call this a friendship by now, but by now, right? Dane and Drake Maverick know they have one heck of a challenge coming up against MSK. 
MSK, the dark horse in this tournament, the new team that could just storm the gates, kick down, kick down the damn doors and win the whole thing. I did not quote this Drake Maverick interview. I can't even paraphrase it. But I can tell you how I felt. My eyes glued to the screen. This was the most compelled by Drake Mavericks like speeches that I've seen in, in quite some freaking time. I was fired up. Killian Dane was fired up. We're going to have ourselves quite the show when this tag team matchup hits against MSK. Dusty Classic delivering some great in-ring stylings on the men's side, on the opening in the women's side. Before I discuss the matches that took place last night on 205 Live, last night as of recording of the show, of course, it's main event time, January 20th, NXT TV's main event, a very quickly named favorite in NXT. Hi, Colin. You're just in time for me to talk about the main event, Team NXT. You know the fight pit? It was the fight pit. My dog remembers the fight pit. His ears perked up. I'm not sure if it's because I said it really... Well, actually, I'm 100% sure that's because I said it really loud. It's not because he remembers watching Timothy Thatcher and the match that he, the way he did against Tommaso Ciampa. A crazy structure. An intimidating structure. The walkway surrounding, no ropes... This match would end by knockout or submission. Thatcher absolutely made for this matchup. Tommaso Ciampa, not a competitor that lacks in anything. Former NXT champion, former NXT tag team champion. The freaking man on this brand. Daddy's home. It's Tommaso Ciampa. Colin, how thirsty are you, dog? I have a show to record. My dog's just sitting back there, slurping away. He needs some hydration. I guess he's all tuckered out as as well. I, I, I know you had a rough day, buddy. Colin, I know you had a rough day. No? You going crate? All right, go to your crate. This is the kind of content you get with me, folks. You don't just hear me talk wrestling. You hear me talk to pets. The interesting thing about that top section walkway, there was a lot of fighting to start it. These guys did not enter through the fight pits level with the mat and the ring. Lots of heavy fighting up top, using the barricades, using those corners where the sections of the cage would meet. A lot of innovative use of the environment in this matchup. Not something we're common and familiar with, but the fight pit provides these unique Visual opportunities for WWE. Where can these guys fight that they haven't fought before? On the scaffolding walkway area of a fight pit is a first. And any firsts in professional wrestling, I don't care what brand it is. I don't care if it delivers off the bat or it doesn't. But a first is always going to catch your interest and a first time appearance for fighting for this long granted it was dragged out just a little bit there was a point where it came all right i cannot wait 
for these guys to finally just get down and get down and dirty and fight each other between the sides of this cage. The top side fighting on the walkway did persist a little bit. And then they went to commercial and picture and picture. And then they go to mat level in between the cage doors and the cage walls. During the commercial break, the picture and picture is when it happens. It doesn't happen during the full screen NXT broadcast. What kind of production decision is that? What kind of storytelling in the matchup decision is that? Especially when the ending would not take place on the top part of the scaffolding walkway. It would take place in a corner use of a side of the cage. And showing when those guys got to that level on the actual broadcast. And then going to commercial break mid-submission or post a heavy strike when they're on the same level as the mat. That's when you cut to picture-in-picture. Okay, they're inside the fight pit. They're in the depths of the fight pit. They're fighting in the pit for as simple terms as I can put it. Thatcher has a lock and chain style submission on Tommaso Ciampa and his neck is wrenching or his surgically repaired knee ACL area is getting picked apart by a crab by Timothy Thatcher or something simple styled that you know is going to persist through a commercial break that you can build the picture and picture around how Tommaso Ciampa is going to escape the submission taking place in between the four sides of the cage on the mat level. You do not drop these guys into the fight pit during a picture and picture. Are you joking? Are you serious? That was, yes, this is me making a big deal over something probably small in the grand scheme of things because we saw it. People's televisions are big enough nowadays where you're still seeing a picture-in-picture with way more screen space than probably the largest one people my age or older absolutely grew up with without splitting its attention with a... I'm not going to mention... I can't think of a commercial that was on during NXT... And I also don't have any sponsors, so I'm not going to name any brands that were on during this Thatcher Champa dropping in fiasco. But timing in life is everything, and this was poor timing in this matchup. This decision or this layout for this matchup did not make sense. And I'm glad I got that out of the way. Because... Everything else about this match, I absolutely loved. It was vicious. It was strike heavy. It was submission heavy that really showed that Timothy Thatcher did his opponents, did his homework, excuse me, on his opponent, Tommaso Ciampa. Ciampa is as tough as they come, but he still has bullseyes on his surgically repaired neck. 
he still has targets on his knees and ACLs that were busted during some of NXT's most extreme in-ring competitions. One other inclusion about the fight pit that I've thoroughly enjoyed was how commentary mentioned that the mat was modified for the fight pit. So it's harder. It's a tougher surface to land on. It adds to the grittiness. Is that 100% factual or not? I don't freaking know. But is it part of the storytelling in kayfabe that I'm going to sit here and appreciate? You're damn right. They're landing on a tougher surface with no ropes and steel cage sides up? I'm into that. That's Raw Underground style. Another segment on WWE television. I miss something from the main roster that actually had me invested for a little while. So that's another slight thing to really appreciate. No ropes, no buckles, a harder mat surface to land on, and no pinfalls. Thatcher, his style, impeccable. Him being that old school, tough as nails grappler, that's as simplistic and direct but intimidating as you can get in a character. Champa, in addition to being the Blackheart, right now, a heavy aspect of his character is looking to change this self-entitled quote-unquote tough guy attitude of the NXT locker room with these new imports, I suppose, as he, as he put them. There's no faking tough guy attitude when it comes to Timothy Thatcher. Thatcher targeting the fingers at first, the neck and the knees given the injury history and the environment that he was in and the damage he was able to deliver. This, the fight pit being Thatcher's specialty matchup and wrestlers having specialty match types in 2021 is major with me because a match type can be an important part of character build. Ask the Undertaker and the casket match. Maybe don't ask the Undertaker anything based on some recent reports, but it's the first example that just came to my mind. The lock and chain submission style by Timothy Thatcher, that's not just a Titantron icon. That's not just some catchphrase. That's personifying him. That's something you can throw on a t-shirt that's also 110% true. And it could not be more highlighted than how this match ended. Tommaso Ciampa, brilliant job. Tough, gritty. We've seen him in these hardcore stylings before. Last man standing, street fight. The entire saga with Johnny Gargano featured some of these hardcore environments. But it did not feature something on the level of the fight pit with, and I say all the credit in the world to Johnny Wrestling, but the style is too different and the in-ring acumen is different in too much of a different way. And it was highlighted in the ending of this one with Thatcher and that submission clasping style. A 
duly maneuvered stretch muffler holds in the corner. Champa locked in the corner, the steel up against his body, and Thatcher locking in that other leg and able to reach and get that full on. I really hope I'm not calling this by the false name, but I'm going to go for it anyway. That Gable grip, not to be confused with Chad, that Gable grip, that sealed that connection for the submission, agonizing to look at. Tommaso Ciampa, no blame to him, tapping out due to this hold. Wow. This tough man culture that the story seemed to be driven by could not have been better shown and better displayed than through the ending of this match. The silent respect would solidify the end of this evening. We've seen it happen before. We've seen it happen with our current NXT Tag Team Champions, Oni Lorcan and Danny Burch. Long-term singles rivalry between two tough and gritty individuals shaping up to be a tag team. That vacancy by Ashante the Adonis and Denzel Dejanet would be filled on 205 Live on January 22nd by Timothy Thatcher and Tommaso Ciampa as a tag team. I'm going to shift gears into 205 Live, but I do want to cover what will happen on NXT this next upcoming week. Kurt Stallion, baby. Former Evolve talent taking on Santos Escobar for the Cruiserweight Championship. Like I mentioned before, MSK will be taking on Maverick and Dane coming up this week as well. And Leon Ruff and Kushida take on the Grizzled Young Veterans. I've already rambled on how I think that match is going to end. Jumping into the Women's Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. Wow, I am well over an hour already. Let's try and make these quick. I love the debut. Cora Jade, great look, awesome attitude, kind of a page successor. Not that anybody can fill those shoes, but I love the aesthetics of Cora Jade. Gigi, her future is looking as bright as her fluorescent orange hair. However, Candice LeRae and Indy Hartwell would win this first round matchup and Indy Hartwell would get the victory. That is huge for Indy Wrestling. Indy Hartwell, her first victory being on the team with Candice LeRae ends a win in the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. Hartwell has done some incredible work since 2020. 2021 shaping up to be a great year for her and the remainder of the Gargano uh, of the Gargano family, if you don't count the uh, if you don't count Johnny and uh, Austin Theory's luck in the tournament, the way still represented in the Dusty Rhodes Classic, the way with Loray and Hartwell, uh, Thatcher and Champa versus Tony Nice, Long Island's own Tony Nice and Arya Davari, two two hundred five live originals, two of the OGs. Two former members 
of the Zotrain. If I can show some Enzo Amore love without uh, without you guys shutting off the podcast. Thatcher and Champa, could they get along and win after that fight pit? Could they get along and win so quickly after the fight pit? It just happened on Wednesday. Are these guys really 110%? Are these guys even 100%? Probably the number I should have started with. Are these guys 100% after just happening on Wednesday? Oh, Thatcher and Champa went from vicious opponents in the fight pit to teaming together? I need to see that. I could see that next week on NXT television when there's more of a believable time frame for them, but I guess they needed to wrap up the Dusty Roads round one on and at this very point in time, and it does emphasize the synchronicity between 205 Live and NXT as working cohesive brands, but the time frame and where it fits in the story just does not, the timing was off, and timing is everything. However, they were able to get along. They were able to overcome, even though Davari and Nice have teamed together before and have found success as a team before, and Tony Nice, former Cruiserweight champion in his own right, taking on a former NXT champion. Arya Davari, a credible contender with experience. Timothy Thatcher, a credible contender with experience. Believable match that could go either way based on in-ring acumen, and experience. But, maybe happened a little too quickly. Again, could be the time frame, could be how things are shaping up in the tournament, and how these things are to be perceived to happen and take place before the next TakeOver event. I'm 99.5% sure that does have something to do with it. But the ending of this one would shape up quite simply... The tag team chemistry was there on both sides. Appearing reluctant between Thatcher and Champa at times, yes. But that silent regard and silent respect showed that they were able to work together. Davari and Nice, unable to pull off some top rope striking offense, would be met with dual striking counters and a Willow's Bell from Champa to Tony Nice. This gritty respect, really the best way I could phrase it, this gritty respect continues to grow. If you want to think of gritty from the Flyers based on just how these guys look as bearded folks, go for it. That could even be a subtle reason why I'm thinking so. Thatcher and Champa moving on in the Dusty Roads tag team classic cup oh boy thank you so much team nxt thank you for hanging i promised myself a little bit i gave a long episode last week and having two people having two people able to do the show and me having some rapport and back and forth with with somebody as knowledgeable as peyton westner it's it's going to open up these uh these longer episodes but going going an hour 15 minutes with with what i feel some conversation with substance. It feels good, folks. And uh, I want to thank you all for for spending the time and hanging out for this long. Please follow me at podcast underscore UF on Twitter, which is where I got a lot of your questions this week, which will be 
addressed. We're going for we're going for as long as could possibly be right now. I want to thank you guys for the interaction. I hope that I answered a lot of these questions throughout the course of just general uh, just general discussion throughout this course of uh, throughout the course of the show, but absolutely must must uh, must must address. There was some great great work here. Uh, going to address at WWE NXT Bible, one of my favorite supporters on the on the timeline up and down. What do I think will happen with Balor and the Undisputed Era teaming up and their loose alliance recently? Well, I'm going to go back and kick myself because I did not go in depth as I could have on this segment between the former, I guess former or still, I don't know, McAfee's boys, Dunn, Lorcan, and Birch. Balor is teaming with Kyle O'Reilly of the Undisputed Era to take on the NXT Tag Team Champions next week in addition to the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic matches I mentioned and the Cruiserweight Championship. So stacked card next week. We're seeing our champion. We're seeing my favorite opponent he has had in recent history, Kyle O'Reilly, take on the Tag Team Champions. Where do I think the Undisputed Era loose alliance in general is going to go? I like to agree with Mr. Regal here and say keep your friends close and your enemies closer and Finn Balor only is continuing to make new enemies. Now the enemy of my enemy is my friend in this situation, the Undisputed Era taking on Dunn and Warkin and Birch and McAfee in war games is the crux of this alliance. Now, Bauer having to deal with Pete Dunne and this, this, this friction between this three-man group and the Undisputed... This now three-man group and the Undisputed Era. It's a three-man group now because Bobby Fish injury report. Again, that's the last news I heard. Please feel free to correct me on that. But these three members of the Undisputed Era line up up pretty perfectly with just Dunn, Larkin, and Birch. But again, you can't have that with the NXT champion right now. So the Undisputed Era, having Bowers back does give Bauer a lot of protection right now in having this loose alliance. But Bauer having that loose alliance also gives him the numbers game advantage, which isn't common on the babyface side of things. That's the most interesting aspect about this alliance. Bauer plus Cole, Strong, and Kyle, Dunn, Lorcan and Birch, as it sits right now, they're at a three on four disadvantage. Now, this could easily turn around, but I'm not sure if it's going to happen soon. The numbers game could shift immediately back to Lorcan, Birch, and Dunn because of who I perceive to still be waiting on the sidelines, and that's Ridge Holland and Pat McAfee. Pat McAfee and Ridge Holland could return and then one click 
boom, advantage shifts right back to Team Pat. Right back to Dunn, Lorcan, Birch, Holland, and McAfee. Just those first four boys to even the odds up in ring. And then he got McAfee as the mouthpiece with some in-ring experience in war games and one-on-one with Adam Cole to his credit. So that's where I think the Balor and Undisputed Arrow Alliance is going to go. I think that it's important for Balor to have some support and the numbers game advantage right now. It doesn't make sense and doesn't have as much clarity to me as I can perceive. But I think that once Holland and McAfee are back and it's Bauer and the Loose Alliance with the Undisputed Era taking on those five guys, I think it's going to shape up and make a lot more sense than, than it does right now. Got to distinguish between then and uh, then sitting here. Uh, we're going to move on to a little bit of a simpler one from Xavier at Robin81304. Who should dethrone Cross if or when he wins the NXT title back? Oh, so this isn't even when do I think Balor is going to dethrone. Balor is going to be de- dethroned by carrying Cross. This is... Um, this is how I perceive it happening. Cross is going to take it away from, from Balor. And then Cross is going to hold it. So this is... This is maybe even summertime season. This could be a June through August stretch for when, when like that big, that big WrestleMania feel takeover. Incredibly biased in my eyes because it's when takeover Brooklyn's ideally took place in uh, the 2015 to 18 stretch. This is this is deep. Karrion Cross wins the NXT championship by taking it from Finn Balor. Karrion Cross has a dominant reign that can compete with Finn Balor original reign and Adam Cole's over 400 day historic reign and then by then I'm hoping we have I can't believe I called this a simple question I am so sorry Robin this is crazy this is this is a lot of this is my my thinking cap is securely on my head here we're gonna we're dipping we're dipping hour and a half in folks Thank you so much for hanging with me. We might not even see this talent. This talent might not even be in NXT yet. This talent could be a big, believable talent working his way through the Performance Center as it sits. I'm going to fantasy book it. This might not be who should, as the question is worded, but this is... This is quite possibly a uh, a comic book esque yet also underdog story to shape place. I think if we get Kushida with some championship experience as the North American champion, if he can hold out a successful North American championship reign, 
maybe even at the same time as Cross is NXT champion, this would be good. This would be good. It shows that Cross, that, uh, Cross is a dominant champion as Kushida proves he's championship material. And then building on what I was talking about before with can, can, uh, can Kushida find and reach that success that Hideo Itami Kenta never found on NXT, he can be the one to take it away from Karrion Cross and be that other Japanese male NXT championship talent. You prove Kushida as a worthy fighting champion. And then Kushida drops it to whomever. And then Kushida gets a few victories under his belts after losing that, that championship. And really locks focus on the NXT championship while Cross is just tearing through everybody. Like he's he's beaten Adam Cole at this point. He's shut down Kyle O'Reilly for another NXT Championship opportunity. Roderick Strong even stands up after those two members are beaten down and wants to take his own shot at Karrion Cross to stand up for his brothers, and Strong gets beaten down. And Bauer comes back for his title, but Bauer's unsuccessful a second time. Give Cross something interesting. Make Karrion Cross interesting before I could fully invest in this. But Cross, who should if or when he wins the NXT title back? I don't know. But I hope I answered that question with a really strong hypothetical. If and when Kushida is built as a championship caliber talent and a possible main event figure that might incorporate and need some help on the promo side of things. He might need a manager of his own just to compete with the presentation of Scarlet and Karrion Cross, but that's that's how I think uh, that's how I think it could it could shape out. Thank you so much, Xavier uh, at Robin eight one three zero four. There, folks, uh, great great question, great question. Cannot believe I said the word simple in relation to that. Paul Paul Canadian flag at L A Y I N Smackdown Layin Smackdown not laying Layin. Smackdown, like The Rock used to pronounce. Who do you guys? I love, I love that the uh, the regular idea is that there's a regular co-host on this on this show. Uh, shout out to Peyton for for making that kind of impression as a natural co-host. Who do you guys, me myself and I, see as dethroning Io Shirai for the title? I get Martinez is getting her shot soon. Could it be Tony later on, or is there someone else? I want it to be Raquel Gonzalez. I do. I mentioned a little bit earlier on, I think Mercedes Martinez is that kind of in-ring veteran who can put over Io Shirai's title reign and have it continue. And that match will be the one that gives Io Shirai credibility to the, uh, to the fact that she can put down a much larger opponent. Raquel, bigger than... Martinez, yes, we've seen Io Shirai also victorious over Rhea Ripley. So the idea that she can beat larger opponents is already in her mind. But I think going from Mercedes immediately to Raquel and Raquel being successful, I think those back-to-back rivalries, that making sense, that being 
Io Shirai put down one larger opponent. Can she do it again this quickly? And the answer to that being no does make logistic and storyline sense. I'm, not, I'm never going to steer away from the argument that it could be Tony Storm. I would love to see Tony Storm be uh, be put up there in the ranks with Rhea Ripley being both the NXT UK and NXT US Women's Champion. But I think Raquel Gonzalez winning the championship from Io Shirai and then Dakota Kai's involvement from there. And then maybe even just adding another layer to that, as Raquel is champion, maybe Dakota Kai's taken a little bit too much credit for Raquel being champion. Maybe Dakota and Raquel's friendship is on the rocks mid-title reign and the big monster heel holding the championship. There, there's, there's something that flips, that flips there. But uh, I, I also get that, Mart- that Martinez is getting her shot soon and part of her not being part of Retribution and not being on the main roster could have been we're going to keep you on NXT and you're going to have a title reign. I don't see that outside of the realm of possibility so far either. But Raquel Gonzalez pinning Io Shirai inside the War Games matchup. We're all still waiting for the real true capitalization from that moment. So that's why I see Raquel Gonzalez being the most credible contender for Io Shirai's title. And why I see her being the most threatening to take the title away from her. Great question by Paul as well, at Lane Smackdown. Jabez, Jabez, a regular liker of my tweets and retweeter and uh, favorite follower on, one of the favorite followers on social media. I hope you're enjoying the show so far, buddy. Uh, at J-A-B-Z-X-O-X-O as in X-Zero, the number. Uh, prediction on where the Finn Undisputed Era Alliance is going. Just go back a couple minutes there, my dude. Uh I don't have any more thoughts on that as it sits right now. Going through the NXT Women's Division rants did not uh, did not bring anything from the back burner, but stay tuned for future episodes. There'll be plenty to say on this topic, I'm sure, especially after the Finn and Kyle tag team match taking on Oni Lorcan and Danny Burch. Do you think after he beats Dunn that he'll lose to Cross? Yes. Yes, I do. I do think Karrion Cross will take away the title from... Finn Balor. I think that Finn Balor will lose the title to Karrion Cross. Karrion Cross will be that demon sort of presence that hurts his opponent's mindset. Balor might fall into a slump, have to work his way back. And maybe even, I know that we've, we've all read some reports and interviews that the demon is dead for now. But even going back to Robin's question earlier in this summary, I don't think that the demon can be fully dead because the demon Finn Balor is a credible contender to carrying cross where the man Finn Balor is not. So if it's not the Kushida story I told before, it could also be he loses it, uh, Finn loses it to cross, but then Finn can also win it back from cross assuming we're keeping the Prince on NXT and for, I really hope so. I don't know how to put it anywhere. Uh, There's nothing else to say. Nobody wants to see Finn Balor on the main roster anymore. That's it. Not happening. 
let's end it. Let's end it with a question from the boy, the most recent co-host of the show at Peyton Westner at PC Westner. What are your thoughts on Champa and Thatcher as a tag team? How far do you see them going in the Dusty Classic? Peyton, I do not want them to go from fight pit opponents to winning the whole tournament. I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it, but it's also killing me because I can see it happening perfectly and making logistical storyline sense to win the tag team titles. Isn't that sick, folks? Ugh, isn't that sick? Like, I did not want this tag team match to happen so immediately after the fight pit. And I can see a logical path to them also winning the whole Dusty Classic and the tag team titles. And I'm going to tell you how. My favorite in the tournament to win it for storyline sense is still the grizzled young veterans. James Drake, Zach Gibson, way too impressive numbers and match performances in this tournament for them not to win the whole dang cup this year, taking last year's matches, and showings into account. Champa and Thatcher are on that same bracket side. I believe. I'm like 90% sure at this point. I'll, I'll keep I'll keep talking and I'll uh, and I'll also simultaneously look up the uh, the actual brackets as they stand right now. That way uh that way we can all be 100% accurate on on the kind of content that we are consuming. So, yes, as it sits right now, Grizzled Young Grizzled Young veterans will take on Kushida and Ruff. Nice and Davari supposed to take on Adonis and no, oh, Mr. Troy. That's that's Denzel's new name. All right, so yeah, they're on the same bracket side. So it would be the it would be the left side bracket semifinals. As it shapes up right now, we're assuming that Thatcher and Champa are successful over the Undisputed Era. Now, where I think or where I want them to go. I want them to go as far as, okay, they got one one win as a tag team under their belts, and now that's it. Let's get the real teams in there. Undisputed Era, Cole and Roderick Strong, their tag team chemistry overcomes the two guys who were just fighting each other in the fight pit earlier this week, coming together as a tag team and making it all the way to the finals of the Dusty Rhodes Cup. I don't want them to beat the Undisputed Era. But, I mentioned, I could see it making logistical storyline sense. I can see them, them being Thatcher and Champa, coming together as a team, after being vicious opponents. Where have we seen this before? We've seen it with our current NXT Tag Team Champions, Oni Larkin and Danny Burch. So a team of two people who used to be rivals coming into this tournament, taking that vacant spot, and then winning the whole dang thing to take on a team also built on the fact that they were past opponents that put on great matches against each other? That makes a whole lot of sense to me. That's entertainment. That's storyline consistency, not just in one team, 
but on both teams taking each other on? That doesn't happen. I can't think of any time that's happened in pro wrestling. That would be an interesting place to go. Now, I want an actual team that's been together for a while to win the tournament. My argument for that will never disappear year to year, Dusty Cup to Dusty Classic Cup. But for the sake of story and for the sake of parallel that we have between Champa and Thatcher and our current NXT Tag Team Champions, Oni Orkin and Danny Burch, that's how far I can see them going in the Dusty Classic. Not how far I want them to go in the Dusty Classic, but how far I can see them going in the Dusty Classic. Going to be talking an hour and 40 minutes. Going to give you guys 100 solid minutes of NXT discussion. We'll wrap this up with one last question from Mr. PC Westner. Lucha House Party continues to pull double duty between NXT and WWE Raw. Are they only hanging around to protect Kurt Stallion from interference in the title match? Ooh. I hope so. I hope they're hanging around. I hope the uh, I hope the Stallion House Party. I don't know if that's a great name for it. The Lucha Stallion Party. I don't know. I don't think there's a creative way to to, to phrase that faction quite yet. Um, Lucha House Party. Two of them right now as it sits. Kalisto is no longer with Metalik and Lince Dorado. So there's two members there evening things up to take on Wild and Mendoza as Santos and Kurt Stallion lock up in the ring. I think they are there to curb outside interference. But I sadly don't think it's going to be enough to curb the outside interference as a whole and the other strategies that Santos Escobar is going to have going into this title match. I think I think the bag of tricks that Escobar has, whether it's loaded masks or use of a turnbuckle post or the connector piece for a turnbuckle bump that doesn't look as good as it should. I think the potential for things like that, there's not as much... There's there's a lot of potential in those sort of outside interferences. And I do think that Carnage and Bedlam on the outside between Lucha House Party and Joaquin Wilde and Raul Mendoza... I think enough Bedlam and Carnage outside can provide a distraction that will turn the match in favor one way or the other. But I don't think uh, I don't think Kurt Stallion's taking taking the cruiserweight taking the cruiserweight title, and that's not even the uh, the crux of the question. I think the Lucha House Party should stick around because if they're going to be on Raw, two hundred five live, and NXT, just just let them be everywhere. Just let them. Just let Grand Metalik show up wherever the hell he wants to to put on good matches. Brand splits, brand splits just just don't matter and just aren't taken seriously enough in WWE. Why the hell should Why the hell should we sit here and uh, and try and logic it ourselves if uh, if they're not going to do it? If Two Hundred Five Live and NXT 
are on this great working relationship that we've seen inside the title picture. I don't know why it can't happen in a in tag team cohesion with a team as talented as uh, as Lindsay Dorado and Gran Mets Week. So I hope I answered the uh, the big bullet points of the question there, Peyton. Thank you, of course, as usual for uh, for joining me on last episode and the future projects we will, of course, be working on together. Uh, that's going to wrap things up, folks. Episode 121 in the books. Thank you so much. Please follow the social media at podcast underscore UF is the Twitter. I'm on my way to 100 to 1,500 followers. I want to get to 2,000 by the end of 2020. That's a goal. I want to be at 2,000. Well, I wanted to be at 2,000 followers by the end of 2020. Did not happen. I want to be at the at 2,000 followers by the end of 2021. If I could be at 2,022 followers by 2,022, I think that would be pretty damn cool. Let's see if we can. Let's see if we can surpass those numbers this year, shall we? I'm really hoping to grow anywhere I can with the NXT conversation. I know there's a lot of you out there who want to discuss this brand. I talk about all things wrestling. You have a hot take on AEW. Guess what? I'll interact with you on there too. I watch it all, folks. Please talk to me. At podcast underscore UF is the Twitter. Follow me on Facebook, Undisputed Future Podcasts. I'll probably, if I can get enough people to join right off the bat, I'm going to try and set up a Facebook group where we can discuss NXT, maybe even NXT live threads, just kind of get a feel for uh, for what that landscape might look like for uh, for social media interactions sake. Uh, I don't know, a lot of different ideas coming, coming in 2021, including inclusion on Spotify and Pandora, but thank you no matter where, how, and when you're listening to me. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, any party that picks up my RSS feed, which is featured on my most heavily advertised form of listening in SoundCloud. Uh, please, please buy me a cup of coffee. Uh, K-O hyphen F-I backslash undisputed future podcast. The link is in my Twitter. Folks, content creation can sometimes be a thankless job. I have not asked anybody for a single cent in 120 episodes. I had a few t-shirt campaigns and a lot of those proceedings did go to uh, to St. Jude's Children's Hospital. So the amount of money I'm looking to make on this thing is minimal. But I would like to sometimes be able to buy my dog a bag of food just based on the product that I'm putting out because of the podcast. I'd like to be able to look at maybe that first or that Later on, you know, we're we're getting way too I'm getting way too ahead of myself here, but that that's some amounts that'll be for a new piece of equipment for the computer or a new microphone in the same exact style, but with better quality. Just any small improvement to the show that I can make because of my efforts from the show and from you guys and your generosity. There's no I in Team NXT. I cannot do this by myself, so I'm I'm not asking for handouts. Like I mentioned earlier for this campaign, I'm going to try and use this to also introduce new content through videos and 
watch along audio and old school NXT coverage, maybe even some deep dives into past rivalries and just look at some some of the really big monumental storylines from NXT's past. There's a lot rolling around in my head right now, but I didn't feel right setting up a Patreon because of the monthly subscription connotations behind it because I know times are tough. I don't need anybody looking at their bill thinking, what the heck is this 4 or $5 a month charge for? Oh, it's for that dude ranting about NXT. I can, I can wipe that off. I don't need this charge every single month. I want at your convenience and at your support when you're feeling it. So I'm not asking for too much, not asking for handouts. It will come with bonus content. It has come with 120 past episodes, this being 121st of this endeavor. So any cent, any small form of generosity, thank you so much for anything and everything you guys do. That includes listening to the show, hanging out, retweeting, spreading the word, tell a friend. I know people who watch NXT can sometimes be the only one in their friend circle who religiously watches this particular product. But you can listen to the show without watching the product on television. You can listen to this and then go back and watch NXT on television and then surmise from there whether you agreed or disagreed with my takes. How, when, why you're listening. Thank you so much out there, Team NXT. I'm your host, CD, Danny Mac, the voice that is your choice for NXT discussion. Have a great week, stay healthy, and I will talk to you next time.